Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Side Hustles and Stuff Podcast, episode 42. My name is Yuri, and I'm joined by Keishi. Hey, Yuri. How are you today? Wow, you're very loud. Let me turn down my volume. <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I, I, I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Um, it, it was raining a bit today, but yeah. now it seems like the rain stopped and it's warm outside. So Yeah, it's a sweater weather over here in the TKYO, Tokyo. It's also Sakura season, the cherry blossom season going on right now. Yeah, ex- exactly. I, I was worried that uh, that um, a lot of the flowers would be would be gone with the rain, but so far they seem to be still still alive. Yeah. Well, I think it's gonna rain tomorrow tonight extra hard, so there's always that. Oh, okay. Maybe I jinxed it. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, so, so yeah, but like that's the thing uh, with cherry blossoms. Like, I think you you can explain this a little better, but my understanding is that they represent. Um, transients because like they don't last very long i think maybe two or three weeks tops but they're very nice to look at but then they're gone so it's like kind of reminds you that all things kind of go away Uh, yeah that's what my girlfriend said today as we're walking as we were walking to the store and i was like oh they're gonna be gone soon (laughs) yeah and so i guess it kind of teaches people to appreciate uh things a little more because you know while you're there in the moment you can enjoy it because you know that these flowers are going to be gone yeah. In the next week yeah. or so. It, it, it's also a marketing season for for all the um, food and drink and, and that kind of companies. Like you see all these special Sakura editions and also in the restaurants, you see special Sakura drinks, Sakura menus. Yeah. To be honest, like I know it's a whole marketing ploy, but at the same time, it's quite nice <laughs> to like see like these different kind of drinks and special seasonal editions come out. Well, yeah, it, at least they give us some new stuff to talk about. Although I don't think... Any of us is actually drinking anything Sakura themed today, but uh, a few wait, a few episodes back, I had Sakura. Uh, what was it called? Green was it green tea or something? I think. Oh yeah, I, I think yeah. And I also had beer, but I don't. I don't because we're keeping the show kids friendly, and we don't like to record while intoxicated. <laughs> I didn't drink it. <laughs> it actually tasted. I was like, huh, I wonder if this tastes any different. It did not taste any different. It just had it was just the packaging that was different. Yeah. Yeah, we also had a Sakura themed um, that when we went to Kyoto earlier. A week. desert? Desert? Yes. We would get a desert in Japan. <laughs> this is the second time. Yeah. I was like, where did you guys go? <laughs> so you guys had a Sakura themed dessert? Yeah. Was it good? What was it? It was pretty good. I think it had the um Sakura ice cream hmm. and and a bunch of other stuff, but um yeah, it, it was nice change from from the usual stuff because generally I don't try um, new things, but it was nice to to just try this. And... Yeah, and things things change up all the time. Like after this, we'll see like summer related goods. Yeah. I think, and then there's fall, and there's there's everything. There's always something going on, which in a way, you know, like pr- pushes consumerism. But at the same time, I don't well, I don't take any hard stances against consumerism because I do enjoy buying stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I do think like. There's an angle of it that's kind of also kind of nice to see, like, because to see. And the thing is also these things, these goods don't last around very long. They're usually pulled off the shelves once the season is done. So it's kind of nice in a way. Yeah, I think the Japanese are really good with this, um, with this seasonal kind of products, like whether it's stuff around Christmas, Halloween or, or, or around the Sakura season for that matter. But you know what sucks is like if you like something and I take it off and it never comes back. <laughs> I know that that happens at least once a year. Yeah. There was like many years back, there was something called Wonuts, W-O-N-U-T-S. It was a, apparently it was a mix of donut and waffle at the same time. <laughs> and I really liked them and I always bought them and then they just, they just, they're just gone. That's it. So, so, so if, if anybody knows where to get Wonuts on the black market, um, yeah. you're is willing to pay big money. <laughs> and the ice cream for supply. <laughs> and the ice cream sandwiches in the blue um, packaging. <laughs> With the vanilla cookies, like or the, I think they're not chocolate cookies, but like uh, whitish color cookies. I don't know what they are, but they're very good. And they were around for a very long time, but I've, I haven't been, I haven't seen them in the past year. Oh, okay, maybe we have some um, expert Japanese products dealer listening to this podcast. I'm willing to pay top dollar. <laughs> putting it out there, dead or alive. That sounds good. Yeah. But but for now, I guess we gotta, we just gotta get by with some other drinks and snacks, right? Yeah. So, what what are you drinking today? I got two. Um, I have. I guess this is like green tea latte. I saw. I sent you a picture. Yeah. Uh, I have not tasted it. Let me try it right now. So it has some really nice packaging by something called Ayataka Cafe. It's nice and green and looking like kind of thick, like a pea soup. 
like pea, like the you know the vegetable <laughs> pea, not the uh, other pea. It's pretty subtle in the taste. Kind of tastes milky, but I guess that's what a latte is. Yeah, slightly sweet. Um, not bad. Because uh, my my impression of green tea is that sometimes it tastes a little bitter. Yeah, I'm not always a big fan of it, but this is quite easy to drink. And the second one I have is a uh, choco banana something eaty. I don't know what the kanji is over there. I think it's like pieces of fruit. Hmm. I, I think it's the pulp in, yeah. in English down there. Yeah, so it's a uh, by Uchi Cafe chocolate banana with banana chocolate with pulp. That's the name of the drink. And this is not like a drink where you have like you're twisting off a cap. It's a there's like a straw on the side that you have to. As you can hear, I'm struggling opening it. And let's try this out. Definitely tastes chocolate. Is it like chocolate milk? Kind of, yeah, kind of. I feel like it's like a banana smoothie that's like also has like a chocolate banana smoothie. Like someone took a piece of chocolate and mixed it up with a banana smoothie. Interesting. The chocolate's kind of strong. Like I, I kind of want the banana taste. Yeah. So, so on a scale of one to ten. Probably give it like a five point three. The the matcha thing, the latte. Yeah. Probably give it like a seven seven point five. But this one, I'm not. I'm not a fan. Like, I'm not a fan of like the. I guess the chocolate kind of takes things away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how about how about you? Um. Yeah. So I don't have a plastic bottle drink eater this week. Instead, it's in a glass bottle. Hmm. And I can actually see the pulp at the bottom. It's called Unsha Mandarin Sparkling. So it's a sparkling mandarin orange juice, um, apparently 40% juice. So let's see. I'll, I'll try to flip it upside down a couple of mm. times to get the thing mixed without without having the um, the sparkling part go crazy. Yeah. I open it. it. Smells really good. It smells like mandarin orange. Yeah, that looks pretty good. The uh, Anything that comes in a glass bottle, for some reason, looks a lot better than uh, it's plastic bottle uh yeah it's high end yeah. <laughs> counterpart it, it, it's good it's sweet but not too sweet it's got that kind of mandarin orange aftertaste mm-hmm. I'd, I'd give it a 7.5 out of 10 okay if yeah. i put it in the refrigerator before we talked maybe it would even have been an eight well have you tried that drink i talked about last week the six types of fruit mix yeah that was good the I, tohoku one yeah i thought you were gonna bring it on the show you already brought it. We have oh. to give something new to the listeners. Ah, that's true. <laughs> All right. Well, speak- but, but go ahead. But in the hindsight, I'll I'll rate it as yeah. Let, let's say eight out of ten as well. Okay. I think it's it, closer to nine for me. It would have been nine if it was in a glass bottle. <laughs> oh, that's true. All right. Well, speaking of something new, we do have something new today. It's a brand new topic, which is Keishi. SEO. So, so I think uh, we kind of touched. Touched on the topic a couple times, times on a bunch of the episodes, many times. But I guess we never, I guess we never did a full fledged um, episode talking just about SEO. Yeah. So today we'll dive into it. What what it is? Why is it important? Why is it better than some of the other um, traffic sources you can have? Um, how, how do Yuri and I I do SEO or, or think about SEO and so on and so forth? Yeah. All right. So uh, I guess the simplest starting point is, what is SEO? How would you define it? Yeah, so, so I guess uh, starting with the acronym stands for Search Engine Optimization and essentially encompasses pretty much anything you can do to um, to, to rank in search engines. So to show up for different um, search queries, I guess you could say so. Like if somebody searches for something on, on Google or on YouTube or th- there's many different search engines nowadays. Um, a- Amazon is a search engine too, you, you could say. Yeah. Um, so, so whenever somebody searches for something on one of those websites, um, of course, if you have a business-based on this traffic source, then it's your goal to to appear as high as possible so that people click and go to your to your site, to your product, to your video, to your um, app in the app store, and so on. Yeah. So essentially, it's a, if you have a website and you want people to come there, SEO is search engine optimization, where the goal is you try to do your best to rank the high as, as high as possible. And there maybe there are a few tricks and strategies to do so that Google likes. And yeah, there's um, Google aside, there's the app store. If you have an app, then you'd want the, your app to rank higher. If you have a product on Amazon, you want that product yeah. to rank higher than your competitors. Same thing with YouTube. Like if you have a YouTube channel and you're putting out certain videos, you want, if people search for something related to your videos, you want your videos on top. So doing SEO kind of increases your chances of ranking higher. Yeah. So, so, so I guess, yeah, you, you can say that SEO is a is kind of a set of practices to, to get your site or, or whatever it is that you're trying to promote rank high. And also I think a lot of people use SEO as a... Um, 
as a job title, I guess you could say. Yeah. Like I'm I'm an SEO sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I I think a lot of the people that call themselves um, SEOs are not really search engine optimizers. It just happens to be a part of their their um, their activities. But um, again, there are also people that just specialize on this. And in in which case, I think it's it's more accurate description. Yeah. So I guess to anyone that's listening to this that wants to do a side hustle or has a side hustle, but is not really web savvy. They might be asking, all right, like, all right, so this has to do with websites and I'm selling t-shirts or I'm selling candles or I'm selling music. What does this have to do with anything? You know, what does this have to do with me? And, you know, so why talk about SEO to beginners and non-web savvy hustlers? And I want you to think of it like this. If, if you have a business, do you want people to know about your business? And the answer is yes. You know, so SEO is simply a way to get traffic or eyeballs on your product. So yeah. that, that just I didn't, that just immediately clarifies why you need this for it. If you want people to see and notice your work, you want to make sure that it shows up in front of them if, you go, if they go searching for it. You want to increase your chances of, to, of uh, being found. And for, it's like you said, Keishi, like in another episode, it's like you want your restaurant to be like down the street and not in the middle of a field because if it's in the middle of a field, cornfield that no one knows about, it's like, what's the point? Exactly. Yeah. So... Again, this is why if you're doing a hustle that's not related to online and maybe you would want to have like a website or a blog or a video channel, this is why you should start considering SEO. Just it'll help you be seen by your target audience. Yeah, exactly. And, and um, I, I think it also has um, a lot of advantages compared to like um, ads and, and social media and things like that, because again, th- there are many ways to um, to bring traffic to your website, right? I, I think we might've talked about this on, on this podcast before. Yeah, like you you can pay for ads, whether it's Google ads or like YouTube ads or Facebook ads or whatever. Um, you can build up your social media presence, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, and so on. Um, I, I guess once you become well known, or or like if you run around the city and give out your business cards or something, hmm. you can build up your um, direct traffic where people just punch in your your URL yeah. and, and just go to the site. But all of those are, I'd say, um, I- except for the direct, perhaps, um, I'd say less valuable in the long term compared to SEO. Yeah. Um because again, with with SEO it's it's very scalable and, and um like once you rank relatively high, as long as you can maintain that ranking, mm. that same piece of content is always going to bring you traffic, right? Yeah. So like if a social media post is perishable, it's like you you put it out there, people scroll through their timeline, they see it once, maybe some see it twice. Yeah. But then after time it gets just buried down under the all the new content. Yeah, it's gone forever. Exactly. It's, it, even though it's technically sitting there, it's like no, nobody's looking at it. Yeah. But if you if you do SEO right and if your post ranks high and and keeps that ranking, then then that up then um that SEO optimized post post um essentially becomes an asset that that can last and bring you traffic and revenue in turn mm-hmm. for for months for years in yeah. some cases, right? Yeah. There's a we have an example here like Google. Because Google is the main search engine right now. Everyone uses it. Yeah. So today we're mostly going to be talking about doing SEO for Google. But like here we have an example of for someone that doesn't quite understand how this whole search engine traffic thing works. It's like we have an example here. It's like imagine Google as a city, right? And every search phrase, let's say you put in um, wash your dog, right? That takes, that takes you to the wash your dog street. So imagine you type in Wash Your Dog. Now you're standing on Wash Your Dog Street. And then down Wash Your Dog Street, there's like 10 stores about dog washing or something, someone related. So the first result, the one that you see at the top of Google or the one that's closest to you or closest to the train station is, you know, it's the first one. It's what most people or all people will see. And most people will, will go there. Then if you go further down the block, you have, you know, store number two, store number three, store number four. Or if you're on the Google website, it'd be like the second result, third result, fourth result, and so on. So it's like that. So the, obviously, the closer you are to the top or to the front or closer to the train station, that's where most people will see you. And uh, like Casey said, it's like once you secure that spot, it's like it's like free rent in a way. Is that what you meant? Yeah, essentially. Like once you secure the spot and, and um, you manage to keep it, then th- there's no rent, right? Like if you if you want to open a, let's say you want to open a store where you sell, I don't know, dog shampoo. Hmm. Right, Th- then you have to pay the rent every month to whoever owns the land. Yeah, and and the better the street you get on, the more rent you have to pay. Yeah. Um. Now, if you if you have an article that's 
let's say, best dog shampoos, then once you get to the top on Google, mm. you still have to kind of pay the rent in terms of you have to, I guess, build links and pay update the right. content and so on, just so that you don't lose the ranking. Yeah. But like compared to real physical real estate, mm. it's 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 pretty negligible. And and depending on the phrases or, or on the search terms, if they're less competitive, then there's really no not even any upkeep required, pretty much. So um. So, so, so yeah, I, I think like like Yuri said, just imagine Google's a city and every search phrase is a is a train station. Let's say it's the Doc Shampoo Street station. Yeah. And then you get off the station and whatever's closest to the station naturally gets the most sales. Yeah. Because that's the thing that most people see um, first and they see it the most compared to the ones towards the end of the street. Yeah. So so the better spot you can secure, the, the, the better for you, the better for your revenues. Mm. And... Um, yeah, again, you, you don't always have to be number one or closest to the station in this case, but um, but but still, the closer you are, the better for you, which is why we're talking about this. I kind of like to compare it to having like a free billboard on the side of a highway because obviously you have to pay for a billboard. But if you your website ends up ranking as number one or number two, like, you know you don't have to pay for that ranking. It's kind of like you're getting free advertisement, you're getting yeah, free thousands, exactly. thousands and thousands of people looking at your website at like um, not much cost to you. Yeah, so it's like a free advertising billboard on a highway which drives users to your business. However, it can get competitive. Like when we're talking about the order of stores on a street, you know, chances are that order of stores won't really change in real life. Yeah. It's, a, it's a much longer process. But with Google, like there's uh, plenty of other people that would probably want your spot or they want the top spot. So depending yeah. on the key phrase and like depending on the, industry it can will get very competitive where you know like there's some really competitive niches like i don't know weight loss or finance or health yeah where people you know it's just super competitive that if you're a newcomer you'll never really crack the top 10 search engine results yeah yeah absolutely and, and i think another advantage of seo and and there's also why i would kind of disagree with your um, billboard analogy to an extent i guess and and lean more towards the train station and and, and city analogy is that um, like when you when you pay for ads, you 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 kind of push yourself in front of people, right? So, like you're watching a YouTube video and something wow. pops up, and you try to convince them that this is what they need, or like um, I don't know, somebody's scrolling through a website and they see your banner, and you try to convince them to click on it. Yeah. And it's kind of the same with the billboard, right? Like you're you're driving along highway trying to mind your own business, and then there's there's this banner that you're supposed to see, there's this uh, billboard that you're supposed to see, and that's supposed to convince yeah. you. Well, the thing is, you know, let's let's take that out of the equation. Let's just say it works and it brings thousands of people a month, and you pay nothing for it. Yeah, but but I think that the, the important the the devil's in the detail. I think in this case, and that's like if if you if you decide to go to the hamburger street or to the jewelry jewelry street or to the dog shampoo street, th then you are pretty set on buying the dog shampoo. You're going to the street because you want to see what dog shampoo is out there. Yeah. Versus the billboard, and and again, it it depends. Like some of the ads are more contextual than others, but I I'd say in general they're less what people are looking for and more what companies are trying to push to people. Yeah. Well, I mean, versus here the people come. To I don't you. disagree with that part. It's that's the the whole thing is like, and if you do the work right, then you're essentially getting free advertising. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's like free advertising, except it's better than paid advertising yeah. in a way beyond just being free. Yeah. All right. So uh, now that we've covered what is SEO and why it's such a good channel. You want to jump into the technicals of it so a listener really understands what doing SEO involves. Yes. Yeah, so, so I think let's go through some of the details and through some of the things about how we handle SEO and, and more in general, what what does um, SEO entail? What's the things that you have to do to quote unquote do SEO? Yeah. Because I think it's also a pretty, it, it's, it's, one of, it's a pretty broad term and I think it's also kind of misused every now and then mm. in terms of what it's meant to mean. Uh, I, I think in general, Pretty much everybody would agree there that there's kind of three types of SEO that kind of cover the whole universe, mm -hmm. and that's the um, that's technical SEO, um, off-page SEO, and on-page SEO. So we'll kind of dive into each of these a bit deeper in a minute, um, and also talk about how we deal with some of these things. Mm -hmm. But um, just just to give a quick overview, so te technical SEO would of course be something like um, how good is your site from the technical side? So is it fast enough? Um, is it responsive? Um, what's the site structure and things like that? And it's pretty much something that you have more or less fully within your own control. 
so you can hire somebody to fix things or, or to create things and, and so on. Um, Off-page SEO is pretty much links, um, so, so backlinks from other, other websites. Um, I think people, some people might know um, one of the big, biggest things that um, Google uses to determine where it should put a certain page in the, in the rankings is, um, is the type and number of links it has from different websites mm -hmm. because it kind of takes that as a, as a trust signal. So, so that's the off-page SEO part. Um, here, you, you kind of have part of it in control, as we'll talk about later. But at the end of the day, whether or not somebody links to you really depends on the on the site owner, yeah. right? So, so it's only partially in your control. Like the emails that we get, <laughs> that we talked about in the last episode. Yeah, I I exactly. And um, yeah, and, and the on-page SEO, um, as the name suggests, is just what is on the actual website or what is on the on your, I don't know, App Store app listing. Yeah. Um, what is the text there? How is it formatted? And things like that. Um, and, and again, this is fully in your control because you, you, you can change your website mm -hmm. as much as you want, as much as you please. So here's a quick question. Um, technical SEO, off-page SEO, on-page SEO. Who decides you know, what makes for good SEO or what makes for a good site structure? Th that's a good question. And again, this is one of... It, it's as much science as it is art, I feel like. Because again, at the end of the day, it's the Google algorithm that's kind of deciding um, what order to put the different pages in mm. once somebody searches for them. Um, I think that there are some things that are kind of um, that are pretty given. Like if you if you have good links, um, it's better for SEO. If you have better content, it's better for SEO, of course. But but then again, there's always these nuances. Like what is good content, mm. or or what are good links, and um, I don't know. You, you have to try it and see it, how, how Google reacts to it, pretty much. So I guess the simple answer is uh, it's kind of up to Google. So you're appeasing the Google gods. And there are some like best practices to keep in mind, right, that we'll talk about when we start getting into the details of tech, uh, technical SEO, on-page SEO, and off-page SEO. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much Google, if we're talking about websites or like the Apple App Store, if we're talking about apps, um, YouTube, if we're talking about videos. But, but it's, it's always the algorithm. We're in the 21st century, yeah. and the algorithms run a lot of our um, lives and decide about a lot about what type of content we see. Yeah. All right, so uh, let's jump into the first one. There's a technical SEO and site structure. Yeah, so so I think um, for technical SEO, one thing is the site structure. So um, do you have your site maps, which is something that's pretty simple to set up? Um, do you how do you structure your um, your URLs your the the individual post addresses mm -hmm. so like um generally it is it, a good practice to to put a keyword in there so like if you're going for best dog shampoo search phrase mm -hmm. then it would probably be something like my, my slash best dog shampoos yeah right um I, I think that there's a couple of different patterns you can do here like i for example just like to have simple urls where it's like my lovely slash whatever the page is yeah. um i know that on some of your sites you have it where it's like mylovelypet.com slash dogs yeah. slash best shampoo. Because like if I have a dog, again, if I have a website about pets, then like I'll separate it into categories. Like there's a mylovelypet.com slash cat slash best cat shampoos, mylovelypets.com slash dog slash, slash best dog shampoo. So like I'll separate it out by category. Yeah. The, the only thing I would note there is that arguably, at least from what I've heard, mm -hmm. um, if, you, if you do that, if you have the dog, before then don't repeat the keyword um, afterwards so so it like slash dogs slash best shampoo mm, or something along that's those interesting because i think i do that but um to, to what extent it really matters it's, it's hard to say because you see all these different experiments done by different people and oftentimes they come up with contradictory results yeah. right and, and 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 really it always depends on the exact exact mm -hmm. site and an exact um, search query we're talking about i think it's worth mentioning with all of this that while there are best practices in terms of technical SEO, on-page SEO, off-page SEO, and so on, Google will never really want you to cheat their system, which is why none of these things are black and white answers. Because Google wants to make sure that no one kind of cheats the system. Yeah, exactly. And and again, I, I think like you said, um, it, it's not black and white. And I think there's no such thing as perfect SEO to aim for, for any given post. Mm. Because again, any post that you write, sure, you can target it at, at, um, at best dog shampoos. Mm -hmm. But then it will also rank for best, I don't know, poodle shampoos, best Labrador shampoos, even though it's not necessarily 100% optimized for that keyword, right? Yeah. So it's like you, you can never have a perfect 
perfectly optimized post. I think that's like something you can never achieve because there's just so many moving parts. Yeah. Um, I think you can do your best, but I don't think it's something to kind of get stuck on and, and like spend one week tweaking the SEO for your 1,000 for your 1000 word post. Yeah. All right. Well said. So next up after site structure, we have responsiveness and mobile friendliness, meaning will your website show properly on a mobile device? Yeah, exactly. So um, I think for some search queries, if you look for them, um, you still can find really old websites that whether you load them on your iPhone or on your iPad or on your, on your um, 4K screen on your desktop, mm-hmm. they all look the same which means that they're really terrible to read on, on mobile because yeah. the font is so small. <laughs> so essentially it's a prerequisite and, and pretty much all WordPress themes nowadays are, are mobile friendly or, or responsive, which means the design kind of changes with the, with the shifting width and, and height of the side yeah. of, of, the, of the screen. Um, but yeah, you, def- you definitely want to ensure that. And I think something that Google did fairly recently over the last, I, I, I don't know whether it's a few months or, or a year or so, is that they went from desktop first to mobile first indexing. So so instead of the Google robot kind of going around the the internet and trying to understand it as as somebody that's on a desktop desktop computer, mm-hmm. instead is looking at the at the internet as somebody that's on the smartphone, which is pretty understandable considering that um I don't know about you here, but if you look at the analytics, I think for for all of my side, the mobile's essentially more than the desktop in terms of the, the share of traffic. Yeah, same here. So that means that if you also have a website and uh, let's say you have a thousand visits a day and 80% of those are mobile and you want these people to convert or buy, then you would want your website to be mobile friendly so they don't see a hot mess and they X out and go on to the next result. Exactly. It's bad for user experience and it's also by extension bad for, for SEO. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, um, and again, Google's just a robot. Google's just an algorithm. So it can always be cheated to an extent, mm. but I think it's kind of getting better and better at understanding, um, at least from the technical side, like what is a, a, a decent looking website? What is a website that looks good on mobile and things like Someone that? Someone might wonder, how is it that Google knows about your website? So how, how does Google, um, I guess, develop an understanding of what kind of websites are out there and whether they have good SEO practices or bad SEO practices? Yeah, so, so I think there's two parts to, to your question. One is, how does Google understand there's good or bad um, SEO practices on a given website? Yeah. And, and the first one before that is just, how does Google find a website? Yeah. Which, which I think is a good question. And um, I, I think links are, are the, the important answer here. It's like, Google just knows that there's these certain websites out there, and then it crawls all, all of those, go through all of those. And in, within all of those, there's links that point to other websites, mm-hmm. right? So, so that's kind of one way it can understand what is out there because it already has a base and when it goes through the base again, it finds new links to, to new different places. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, again, you can submit a sitemap to Google. Um, sitemap is just a, like, it's SEO plugins like Yoast and, and some other similar ones that we talked about before can, um, can generate this for a site. But essentially, you can submit this sitemap to Google, which is just a list of all the pages on your website. Mm-hmm. And then Google knows that, oh, okay, so yuri.com submitted the sitemap. Let's go through it. And it goes through it and goes through all the pages on your site. Mm. And that way it can kind of put them into its database and know that they're out there. Yeah. Right. So, so yeah. So I think either through links within sites that it already knows or through sitemaps. And I, I don't know if there's any, any other way that um, it tries to figure out that stuff. And um, yeah. And I think for your second question, that's, that's a better question. And that's really not something that I, I know the answer to or, or, um, that I can't speak to in, in any sort of detail. But um, yeah, Google essentially goes through all those pages and, and it, it can understand to an extent what is the content, hmm. um, what are the links, where are the links pointing, um, how is the text formatted, what are the headings and things like that. Okay. All right. So basically Google crawls your websites through the links that you submit to them. And I, I think it's all like the search bot or Google bot, whatever it's called. It's yeah. like, like a like an application process that just, done by computers it crawls the internet and sees what kind of websites are out there and reads every page and then decides and ranks those pages based on the content they have and in relation to all the other content yeah exactly so, all right i just just i thought it was like a quick question that you know it was a basic but important question for anyone that's starting out to understand as to how google determines these things and how they actually know yeah i, th- I think so i think it's re- re- really important just to kind of have a 
general understanding. So like next up, you have core web vitals for the technical SEO. Yeah, the, the last thing that we want to probably mention here on the on the technical SEO side is um, core web vitals. So it, it's something that um, Google uses to kind of measure how how fast the site is, and also so, so there's two parts of it. One is the site speed, mm-hmm. which they kind of measure in this um, largest contentful paint and first input delay and a couple of other metrics, I think. Um, which essentially means like how far, how fast does the site show up when you go to it? Um, how long does it take until you can kind of scroll around or click on buttons and things like that? Mm. So to make it interactive. Um, and then the second part is something they call the cumulative layout shift. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I still haven't really figured out. So it's, um, they say it's, it's essentially the visual stability. So I'm sure you went to a website where you kind of loaded the site and you wanted to scroll, but before you had a chance to scroll, things kind of jumped around. And, and like the entire site shifted in layout, mm. whether it's because an, an an image got loaded at the top, maybe or or an ad got loaded in the middle or something that kind of just shifted things around. Yeah. So they see that as kind of bad user experience, and they want to essentially they want to um, promote sites that um, that provide a better experience more. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that's why they introduced this. And um, I, I I don't know about your site because your sites are pretty much all monetized by affiliates, and you don't have display ads. Mm. So they're pro- probably pretty stable in terms of their visual appearance. Mm. But when you when you run a site with um with ads, some of the ads are loading dynamically. So as you scroll, like a new ad appears, mm. kind of. So that um that doesn't really help this cumulative layout shift part. Um and and I know that um I think sites like Mediavine are trying to actually figure out how to how to improve their their platform to make it more friendly in in this regard. Okay. Um, and and the reason this is important is one, it provides for for a good user experience if the site is um, snappy and fast. But two, um, in May Google is planning to to make this a, a real, I guess, ranking factor. So um, arguably, it's going to matter more from May once the new update um, rolls out mm-hmm. this year. But but then again, there are so many websites that are not scoring really well on these metrics that um, I, I wonder how how much really of an effect will the will the update have mm-hmm. because it's it's not like and all the all the big sites like I don't know Washington Post and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um they have a lot of ads. They, yeah and, and they don't they don't really tend to do um well on these metrics as as far as I've seen. So it's not like they're gonna suddenly be really punished or anything. I, I don't think it's gonna be as much of a big deal as as some people make it seem, mm-hmm. but I still think it's 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 important. And and it's just a generally um, good practice to keep your site as fast as possible. Mm, right. Okay. So site structure, responsiveness, loading time, interactivity, and visual stability are the key elements of technical SEO, right? Yeah, I, I would say those are the ones that are worth mentioning mm. here in this kind of one-on-one run-through. Of- I think like someone might be listening to this, they'll be like, all right, that's a lot of work <laughs> for me to do. But I think most of this stuff is already handled um, by WordPress. If you have a WordPress blog, and can be handled by the themes and the plugins that you choose. Yeah, that, that's a good point. So uh, I- exactly, like in WordPress, I think the key is to choose a real lightweight theme, whether it's like Astra or um, I don't know. I know I know there's a couple of others, but um, I use Astra on, on some of my sites. And um, and the other thing is there's a lot of um, caching plugins and things like mm-hmm. that. So just just using the right ones. And again, you can you can just Google this stuff and and find um, what is the best. PageSpeed plugin for WordPress and things like that, mm. and kind of use it as a starting point. Okay. So, because yeah, because because again, as, as we said earlier, um, it's good to do as as well as possible on these things, but there's rarely such a thing as as perfect. Yeah. So it's it's not it's also nothing to kind of just get stuck on forever. Because yeah, usually fixing that one thing won't be the thing that changes everything forever and shoots your website to like the first spot out of nowhere. Exactly. It won't be the key, like silver bullet that does everything for you, but it helps out. Yeah, exactly. There might be cases where it's a tiebreaker. Tie like it will never be the main decider, mm. but it might be a tiebreaker in, in some cases. And, and in some cases, that might mean the difference between making hundreds and thousands of dollars. So mm. so again, it's important, but not not the only thing to care about. And again, the good news is just uh, WordPress handles most of this for you. So you might have thought like, oh, that sounds like a lot of work, but you know, website, if, if you have a WordPress website, a light theme and some plugins should fix all of that with no issue and very little work on your part. Exactly. So next up after technical SEO, we have off-page SEO as the second pillar of SEO. I, I guess one thing before, before running into this um, off-page SEO part is um, 
one last thing that we should probably mention in technical SEO, okay. or um, I, I guess it's technical SEO. It could also be considered on-page SEO to an extent. I guess it's um, it's internal linking, mm -hmm. and it kind of I guess um, belongs to site structure. But um, yeah, one of the things that you can do to kind of keep your site organized and and um, and to, and to kind of help you rank better is is better internal linking. So connecting the the articles on your site that are relevant and and essentially making sure that there are as few um, what's called the uh, what's called orphaned pages. So pages that have no internal link pointing to them. Pages that have no internal links pointing to them. Okay. Yeah. So, so it would be a page that no other page on your website is pointing to other than perhaps like the main blog role or whatever it's okay. called. Okay. So make sure to have no orphan links. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes you'll have them because again, not everything has to 100% relate, relate to something else on your website. Yeah. But like having as few of those as possible, or if you find one of those and you think it's, a, it's got potential, then building a cluster of content around that so that there's, there, there's a bit more um, is, is probably a pretty good idea. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point to make up. And the later on, we'll talk about how we uh, write content for SEO and we'll just mention these, recap these little rules briefly so that you can steal them for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and and now going back to off-page SEO. So I think there's there's probably a couple other things like um, maybe how other websites are talking about you mentioning and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But what it boils down to, in, in essence, is is external links, so links from other website to your website. Yeah. So right. I think it's uh, as a general rule, Google f follows a kind of a library type approach to uh, determining authority, meaning like. I'm, I mean library in the sense of like, you know, if there's one book that's cited by all the other books, then that one book, if it has like a, a hundred citations across a hundred other books, then that book is considered to be like a really important authority because hundred other books are referencing it. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's kind of what, um, what separated Google from the previous, from the older search algorithms like decades ago, right? The, the older ones were kind of looking at the text and just trying to parse the text. Yeah. Whereas Google was like, okay, let's say that each link that's coming to a certain page is essentially an, an upload for that page, yeah. right? It, it's like a like on Facebook yeah. for that page. And um, and what happened then was, of course, people started building links that weren't as much of an upload, but were more just links that people built for the sake of ranking higher on Google, yeah. right? So, so essentially trying to cheat the system. Um, but th that said, um, links are still very important ranking factor, mm. and especially for more competitive phrases. And if you really want to be number one for for those, um, they can certainly be a critical factor. Mm -hmm. um, personally, I don't I don't do much link building at all. But we get plenty of uh, requests. But but we get plenty of requests. Yeah. So um, the the only link building that I've done and that that actually worked for me was um, through something called Hero, which is um, which is a service called Help Report Out, and essentially it's a newsletter. I think we mentioned it on this podcast before, but. Um, you get an email once or twice a day that has like a bunch of different opportunities where people writing content are looking for sources. Mm. And it, it doesn't always result in a link, but in many cases it does. So I'll give you something relevant to say to that specific query that's being asked um, in the email. You can always try to score a link um, in this way. I think I got a couple links from like MSN and, and a bunch of um, fairly big sites for my aviation site for, for Hero. Okay. Um, but um, but yeah, other than that, I don't do much um, what you could call active link building. Um, I, I've tried doing like the typical outreaching to different websites saying, hey, you want to link to my um, post kind of outreach, just kind of for the sake of it to see what results I would guess mm -hmm. I, 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 I would get. Um, I think I emailed 100 people out of which probably like 95 didn't reply at all, of course. Um, maybe four tried to sell me links. Mm -hmm. So they're like, sure, if you pay us 100 bucks, essentially. Yeah. Um, and and um, I think there was one that said he would consider it, but in the end, um, I didn't get the link. Um, so, now, th does this work at the scale of like sending thousand emails? Perhaps I, I, I don't know, but um, I, I'm not a fan of it. Yeah, and neither ne neither you are, ne neither are you. No, because it's like, hey, give me a free link. But yeah, we 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 ranted on this last week, so uh, if you want to hear <laughs> a full blown rant, check out uh, last week's episode. We'll just keep this more uh, more educational than ranty. I think in general, there's kind of two approaches to how people deal with SEO. And one is they focus heavily on links. Mm -hmm. So maybe they, they only have 10 posts, but they really want those 10 posts to be the best and to rank it like 
at the very top for like really competitive phrases, mm-hmm. in which case the off-page SEO and links and so on are really important, right? Yeah. Because you're kind of putting all your eggs in one basket and that basket's really competitive. And I think the other approach is more of a, I don't want to say mass, mass, um, mass production, yeah. because it kind of makes it sound cheaper, but essentially it's a mass production approach where you put more content out and you don't necessarily want, or, or you want, but you don't necessarily need every single page of those to rank number one, right? Yeah. It's, it's like we were talking about the, if Google's, is, if every search query is a street, then of course it's nice to have the, the spot right next to the station, but you can also create a successful business just building really good things that are like 200 meters away from the station, right? Yeah. So, so you don't necessarily always have to be number one, in which case I think it's, it's more important to focus on on-page SEO and, and quantity than, than on off-page um, link building campaigns. I, I would say. Yeah. All right. So just to recap, off-page SEO, Google um, considers that if you have a lot of links, other websites linking to you, then that means that you're a trustworthy authority and therefore you deserve a higher spot than other uh, websites. Of course, it's not the concrete answer and it's not, it's not a black and white answer because, again, Google uh, does not want you to like, game the system, but it's one of the like, like, um, somewhat soft rules that they have, I think. Yeah, and, and I think recently they mentioned that the, the pure quantity of links is, is not really a ranking factor. Hmm. So, so I guess it's more about the quality. But then again, it's like, what is a quality link and what, what isn't? Um, there's always this, this motion as this blurriness yeah. with, with all these things. Yeah. Um, but one last thing I guess I would mention here before we jump into the on-page SEO part is um, that some type of content attracts links naturally better than other, which is, I think, worth keeping in mind. It's like some of the stuff that I post on my aviation blog, mm-hmm. it just attracts more links than than pages on my other blogs like, because... Oh, go ahead. B- because it's an original content, right? Like if, if I, again, like for example, a couple of years ago, I managed to fly with... Um, with NASA on one of their research aircraft and write about it and like have my own photos and things like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that of course is is a more more linkable asset than than I don't know than an article on the best dog shampoos. Yeah, where it's pretty clear that all that the people that are writing it is are trying to do is to make money. Yeah. Do you have any other examples of um, content that's naturally linkable? Um, I think the other thing that happened to me a few times is like I have a lot of photos on my aviation blog and, and I take them, of course. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people end up using them and providing the credit and linking back. Um, so technically they shouldn't be doing that and they're they're swiping the photos, stealing them, something we were talking about yeah. the other day. But um, at the end of the day, um, in most cases, I just ignore it and, and just enjoy the, the link that I get back. Okay. And, and if I don't get a link back, then I try to reach out and say, hey, can you at least link out to my photo? Yeah. Not DMCA takedown. Yeah, not DMCA takedown. Yeah. All right, so this was off-page SEO. And the final third pillar of SEO, the three out of three, is on-page SEO. In other words, what you write on your website. Exactly. And this is, I think... Yes. Oh, sorry, go ahead. And this is, I think, um, where we spend most of our time on anyway. Yeah, I, I think so. Because neither of... Again, as, as we're talking a minute ago, it's like neither of our business models is based on... Um, Based on getting a lot of links, based on doing a lot of outreach campaigns for for getting links. Yeah, I think there are some people that that enjoy that and that enjoy building these campaigns and sending out th- those emails. Um, personally, I hate it, and I'd much rather work on putting out more content than trying to get more links. Yeah, at, at least the the outreach way. So so yeah, I, I think both of us spend the most time on on the on page SEO part because again, the technical SEO part is kind of you you do it once and it's kind of done for a while. The off-page SEO part is, um, I, I just hate it, to, to, to put it frankly. I've never done it, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's, uh, it seems like it's a lot more trouble than it's worth. Yeah, and, and the on-page SEO is, is the fun part. Because again, as, as I said, there are some people that call themselves um, SEOs or that consider themselves to be SEOs. And I, I would never say that about me, for example. I, I, I would more say that I'm a content publisher or something along those lines. Yeah. And, and, and when you talk about it, that way, then I think on-page SEO is what you're really talking about. Yeah. All right. So how do we approach content? How do you approach content? What does that entail? Yeah. So, so I guess you could say there's kind of, um, I guess, three or four um, factors here. Mm-hmm. One is, of course, what, it is, what is the keyword that you're going after? So is it, is it best dog shampoos or is it how to wash your dog's um, fur or, or, or what is it? So it's choosing the keyword, choosing the right keywords, doing the keyword research to find what, what you want to write about. Mm-hmm. Um, then it's the, 
then it's the article title, I guess you could say, mm. um, and meta description and all those sort of different fields that, that you can fill, and, and and them essentially ideally containing the keyword and any kind of secondary keyword you want to go after, um, and um, and and then there's the article itself, which which I think should have clear subheadings answering questions that are relevant to the to the search phrase and so on. Yeah, and then I think the final. <clears throat> The final thing um, that I think is worth mentioning is the word count and, and kind of the search intent as well. And, and that might actually be the first part that you want to kind of consider is um, like if you search some term on Google, there is usually a certain type of content associated with it. So like if you search best dog shampoos, mm-hmm. then you're most likely going to get an article that says topic, Yuri's dog shampoo, runner up, Keishi's dog shampoo, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the list of products, each product with a small review and and that's kind of the format. Like if, if you search how to how to wash a dog, then it will be like a tutorial sort of format. Yeah. So I think that's the first key is like, or, or if you search just dog shampoo, then it's likely going to be something like Amazon or, or like e-commerce type results. And I, and I think that's kind of the first thing you have to consider here is just make sure that you're giving the users what they want, yeah. but make also sure that you're giving Google what it wants. Because if if when you search best dog shampoos, the top 10 results are all this product roundup post or this like group of mini reviews of different shampoos. Then if you write an article that's structured more like a tutorial, it's likely not going to rank, right? Yeah. So I think ma- making the format match, the, match the, um, the search intent and also what Google imagines under the search intent is, is a critical first step, I think. It's, it's almost like a prerequisite. And um, yeah, and, and then it's mostly about what content do you put into the article? Do you put any images? And um, ma- make sure to put alt tags um, on the images, which is like a d- description of the image in text. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I think that's worth um, looking at is word count. So, so you're mentioning that you generally try to go for 900 words. Between 900 and like 1,000 or 1,100. 1, yeah. yeah so, so I think for a lot of topic that works, um, generally I just like to look at the top five, six, seven results and kind of see how long they are, what structure they are, and um, and start from there. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, I, I think if you take care of those things and, and you publish good enough content for for keywords that you found to be to be worth going after, so that there are, that there's people searching for them, but also there's relatively low competition, mm-hmm. th- then I think you have you, you are set. How them. can you determine competition? That's a good question. I, I guess that's more for an, we almost need a full episode on like keyword research yeah. and and. Uh, and things like that, but just to give a quick overview, this <clears throat> things that I like to look at is um, one is what types of sites do rank at the top, and I think there's a couple of patterns. So one would be like a really high authority site, like the Wall Street Journal or whatever, ranking with exactly the article type that's matching the the keyword, the search intent. Mm-hmm. The other times you will find a relatively small block with a relevant article ranking for the for the keyword. Or you might find a really big site, but with a completely off article that just slightly touches upon the topic, yeah. which is something that I like because then if I can make something that exactly addresses that question, then I think there's a good chance of ranking for that. Yeah. Um, other things you see a lot are like forums, Quora, and, and those type of sites ranking up high. Um, I, I think if you produce good content for those keywords, you, you always have a chance of ranking. And um, yeah, it's, it's really hard to talk about this. Like yeah. I, I'm just realizing <laughs> that when I... I kind of, I kind of pull up the top ten pages in Uber Suggest or Ahrefs or whatever um, keyword tool and kind of look at them. I'll open the top five, top six, and I, I guess I kind of eyeball it at the end of the day. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I do similar. I mean, like, so just to give the listener, like, a I guess a simpler recap of, of for example, I'm gonna go through my process, and Keisha, you can tell me like your thoughts on it, right? Yeah. So let's say I have a website. I don't have a website about dogs, but let's say I have a website about dogs. I, I don't either, but I soon will. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, For just, so we'll, we'll have to start using a different example. Yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> people... And oh, Well, just side note, the reason why we're, uh, I guess, in any SEO, any marketing person will avoid mentioning their niche is that if they talk about their niche, someone else will go and duplicate our process since they're competing with us, and that's not something that we want. Yeah, it's it's not like we couldn't beat them, yeah. but uh, why bother beating somebody if we can just avoid yeah. that? So let's say I have a website about dogs. Um, if I already have a WordPress website, so that means my technical SEO for the most part is covered, so I don't have to worry about that. I don't do off-page SEO, meaning I don't go and solicit links. So I will focus on on-page SEO. Now, 
now that I'm ready to write my dog blog articles, you know, like the next step is like, all right, what do you want to write about? And you can, how you approach this is really up to you. You can like think about the topics that you know best uh, and write the list of that. I don't know. In my case, I'll do that. And then I'll go and start plugging these terms into a few tools. One is called Uber Suggest. The other one is the Google Keyword Planner. And if it basically, it shows you how many times these specific phrases or variations of these phrases are searched a month. Obviously, something that's searched like a million times a month is going to be super competitive. And it means that there's millions of eyeballs on this thing. And that means like a lot of people will earn a lot of money from it, usually more so than the opposite. But, you know, it's, it really depends. So like I will search through these things on Uber Suggest. Let's say I see something like best dog flea shampoo. And I noticed that it, search, it gets searched like 100 to 200 times a month. And for me, yeah. that's like a low, low-hanging fruit, meaning not a lot of people are searching for it, which kind of means that it's not very competitive. And it kind of means that if I have a new website, I can probably realistically rank for it. So that, then yeah. I'll take that keyword, I'll punch it into Google and see what the current results are like, just to see if I can beat them. You know, if, if you have like, um, like, for example, there's like the top three do definitely address dog flea shampoo but like the rest of the results on the front page don't address that uh key phrase then i I know i could probably fit in somewhere above those guys that don't address it and that's what i'll do so i'll I'll use that and in my case i'll ask the writer go ahead and write up um some 10 shampoos on the best dog flea shampoo and write a review for them they'll do that once i get the article back i will make sure i'll you know post it into wordpress make sure that the title has best dog flea shampoo Make sure that the URL slug has best dog flea shampoo. Make sure that like the that keyword appears like a few times. Not a lot. You don't want to spam that keyword. I think keyword stuffing was an issue in the past. Yeah. Like overload the article with like <laughs> as much as possible because they think it yeah. makes the website rank. But Google's gotten a lot smarter than that, and you know, it'll know when you're trying to cheat the system. Uh, yeah, in in the in the past, J- Justin. Just a fun fact, but I think in the past people used to put the same, so 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 it would be like the best dog shampoo page, and there would be in white font so that people can see it. It would be best dog shampoo, best dog shampoo, best dog shampoo, best dog shampoo, like a hundred times, and that would essentially make the page rank. Yeah, and um, I, I guess those were the good old times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah those are the good old times, and uh, but no, not anymore. Google is smart and Google acts quick. And that's why you know if there's an update, like. Millions and millions of SEOs and blogs will start complaining. Oh no, my website took a hit, <laughs> and that, that's just the nature of the game. Uh, with when you're trying to do search engine optimization, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, but going back, so let, I, let's say I have the post, and um, and we said like the post should contain H2 headings, like, and I guess I'll make every product like an H2 heading, and then like a recap of each one, and that'll be like a, between 900 and 1,000 words. Uh, word length is really up to you. I don't think it's a Big issue for me. I always go for like 900. Maybe I should go for more, but like I haven't seen any reason to go above and beyond just yet. And I'll put in a few pictures and I'll make sure that the alt phrases, alt tags for those images also have like a best dog shampoo in there. At least one or two, not all of them. Yeah. And I'll make sure that the description, like uh, the other thing is like, make sure you have the Yoast SEO app because the Yoast SEO app allows you to edit the website, the article description as it will show in Google search engines. So yeah. I'll stick in, like, for example, here are the top 10 best dog flea shampoos out there. Check it out. And uh, I think that's it. I'll hit publish on that. And that's pretty much it. It's a fairly simple, straightforward process. Oh, yeah. one, one more thing. If I have, like, another article, like dog shampoo, I'll make sure to link that in the uh, dog flea shampoo article just to, like, for internal linking. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Um, yeah, I, th- I think my process is pretty much the same. Um, and um, and and again, I th- I think we both kind of go with the with the content production approach, where um, I I, th- I think it's more of a manufacturing approach compared to compared to the approach where you focus on the off-page SEO, which is more of a sales kind of approach because you got to go out and sell your site to to get the links, yeah. actually, right? Um, or ask and, for and free I, links. Yeah, you you got to sell the site whether people buy into your um, BS. That's <laughs> another story. That's different. That's another story. Yeah, but um. Yeah, I think there's more and more people actually that kind of just use this, um, which, which I think is a simpler um, method, which is you, you just create content for these long, low competition queries. And sure, you kind of, you care about links, but not to the extent where you where you spam people, essentially. Yeah. 
So what do you think of my approach? Because mine is fairly simple and I didn't follow it all the way through back in the day. Like if I check out some of my articles from like 2016 or 2017, I don't have headings on them. I just I just followed the word count and I made sure it's like the article, like the keyword is mentioned enough. Because for example, with the Yoast SEO plugin, like it just gives you like a green light if you fulfill all the requirements that you have, like your word count is above X, that you included the keyword X amount of times, that you included the keyword in the slug, in the description, that your alt tags for the image have the keyword. So like it kind of does the work for you. Like as long, like you can see what you're lacking and the, the plugin will tell you, we need a few more um, keywords over there or something. You need more word count or you need a longer title. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, no, I, I think it's, it's pretty much the same thing that I do. The one thing that I would do differently is I would just look for at, at the top results to kind of figure out the, the word count mm. and, and the structure. But um, again, if it works for you, I think that that's, that's good. Mm. Um, it, it might just be that I'm doing something that I don't necessarily need to be doing, but, but um, I, I kind of prefer to look around for the, the results to see what's up there. Okay. Um, the, the other thing, I guess, um, I, I think I mentioned this to you before, but uh, the other day there was a lifetime deal on on Market Muse, which is like an on-site SEO tool. I think it was like a couple hundred bucks or something. So I decided to to buy it. Um, to be honest, I haven't used it yet. Mm-hmm. But what it does is essentially it looks at your article. It's kind of like something that Yoast does with their keyword. Like you can see how many times you have your keyword in, in the article. But this does it on kind of a, a search results basis. So like you can give it the, the URL for a dog shampoo article and then the keyword. And it will go out there and find the top 10 results and analyze the text on all 10 of those mm-hmm. and kind of gives you general guidelines for, okay, this this phrase is between this and this many times in these articles. This phrase is between these many times and this many times and, and kind of compares your article against that. Okay. So, so it allows you to optimize the text um, compared to, or, or to make it fit more what's on the top page of Google, which is good and bad again, right? Because that's essentially why all the content on the internet is the same nowadays. Yeah, because people realized rather than putting out good content or or what what people generally think is good content, they just put what Google ranks. Yeah. But at the same time, if your business model is to rank on Google and make money out of it and make living out of that, then you you, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. If it works. So you've not used it yet. Um, not really. I tried it on one article, but um, j- just just really. Um, it, it was I, I only made some small changes. Yeah. It's actually one of the things that I'm trying to figure out is how I can um how I can plug my editor in, into the process, I guess, mm-hmm. where maybe I find a couple articles that need updating and she kind of goes through them, runs them through Market Muse and, and um, optimizes them. But um, but yeah, it, it, it's not something that I want to do, the actual optimization work. So so it's more about figuring out how to get somebody else to, yeah. to actually do it efficiently. I think for a beginner, you should probably not buy anything just yet uh, and just oh, for yeah. more, more yeah. practice on page SEO. Yeah, and, and, and this is the other thing, I guess, compared to you, I, I also don't really care about the keyword density in, in the beginning or, or, or don't really um, watch any of the Yoast metrics. Yeah. Like, I, I think the nice thing about Yoast is the, the readability analysis. Like sometimes it shows you have three sentences with the same word starting and, and like saying it's too difficult to read or it's easy to read. Yeah. Um, I, I, I never really make decision based on that either, but I kind of just take it as a guideline. Like if I notice something there that, that I think would make sense fixing, then I try to fix it as I edit the articles, but 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 I don't care about that too much either, I guess, at the end of the day. One thought I always had about like following these specific rules of SEO, like for example, include your keyword X amount of times, make sure your article has uh, H2 heading headings or whatever. Like following specific rules also like makes you easily identifiable. So I feel like people that over-optimize make themselves very easy targets for Google. Yeah. So, so again, I think all these things are not meant to be over-optimization because if you do that, um, it, it's not good. Yeah. Although, again, as, as mentioned before, Google is just an algorithm, so it, it has to go by something. And the keyword density and things like that are definitely part of that something. Yeah. So, so, it's, so it's not like Google's this almighty, super smart um, bookworm, essentially. It's it, it just, it just a piece of computer code. Yeah. A, a pretty big one, but it's still a piece of computer code. But, but that said, um, I, I think... These headings and things like that, it's much more about trying to make the article, one, easy to skim, mm. um, well-structured, easy to read. For the reader, not for Google. For, for the reader and by extension for Google, yeah, but, because at the end of the day, that's what Google should be caring about, Yeah, at, at least in theory. It's uh, Yeah, so I guess to recap, it's like you're better off writing for a person rather than what Google wants. 
um, and following like you can follow some of these best practices, but know that this is not a black and white art. This is not a black and white science that following all of them will not guarantee you success, but it maybe will give you a bit of an edge. And these are just best practices and best practices may change over time. And this is just the stuff that we do. Like, But none of these things are the key silver bullet that will push your website to the top first rank. So don't buy anything that promises that. And just, it's just like a way to optimize for now. And whether it works or not, it's, it also takes some time to like, you know, to find out if your article does rank or not. Like it could take anywhere from like a few days to weeks to months. Yeah, especially if you have a new site, then definitely yeah. takes months. So, so don't rely on any of these as like, this is the thing that must be done 100%. You know, I guess treat these as some like basic ground rules, but these are not the key silver bullet that will drive you from zero to 100% success. Exactly. And and, and again, it, it comes back to like, you, you can do 10 articles and do them really well and get many links for them and make a 10-page site that makes you thousands of dollars. I, I've never done that and I, I don't think I could do that because it involves a lot of link building, essentially. Mm-hmm. Or you can do the approach where you publish 100, 200, 300, 500 thousand articles on your website and they're all going after some keyword and they're all decently optimized. They're all good enough, but they're not perfect. But like when you add, like, like when you add the revenue from each of those articles, like even if each of those articles only makes a dollar or 50 cents or $2, like when you have 500,000, 2,000 of these articles and some of them make 50 cents, but there's a couple that makes 100, 200, $500, th- then you can build a really nice site without even um, caring about links too much or, or anything along those lines. Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, yeah, there's no, there's no, um, what, what's the word? There's a million ways to, well, the saying is there's a million ways to skin a cat, but I don't like skinning, I don't like, I like cats. So I'm going to say there's a million ways to peel an orange. Yeah, there's a million ways to to build and to build a business based around SEO. Yeah, so I, I just I was just hoping that this episode would give you an overview of what SEO is, why you need it, more so why you need it from a marketing perspective. It's a way for you to get in front of your ideal audience. It's like uh, if Google is a city and you're searching for dog shampoo, then the, and you search dog shampoo inside Google, you'll land upon dog shampoo street. And the first store that you see is essentially the first result. Yeah, yeah so exactly. Just to make it, and like obviously you want to be in the first few spots to get uh, the most amount of attention or or the most amount of traffic to your store or website. So this is simply just one of the many ways to get in front of your um, audience. And it's also like if you do it right, it's essentially free advertising because once you're up there, you're not exactly paying for this traffic coming coming to you. Yeah. Which was kind of interesting, like when I had to explain to my accountant as to how like my affiliate website worked, I feel like he, he wanted me to explain it multiple times because I guess he, he was kind of shocked to understand that like, you know, once you have an article ranking, it just like, it just kind of, if it's done well, like it kind of creates money for you as long as Google doesn't kick you off. Yeah. And I, but there will be a time, remember, like anyone listening to this is like, oh, that sounds great. That sounds like an awesome idea. There will always be a time where Google will kick you off or someone else competing for that spot will knock you out. So this is not like a, oh, this is a free, easy money type of thing. It's, uh, it's not. It's, it's work. It's work, but it, it's work that pays for a long time if it's done right. Yeah. Unlike a lot of other work, which is very perishable and like you do it once. Yeah, that's the thing, you know, like um, I think any beginner side hustler, um, the first thing they want to try to do is they start a Facebook page. And they tell all their friends to like their Facebook page. But the Facebook page is not the best way to like get people to look at your stuff. Yeah. Or they'll post Instagram photos. And, you know, like the, with social, it's like if you make a post, let's say we share this episode on Facebook, it's going to be like pop and drop. The first day that I post it, maybe 10 people will see it and click on yeah. it. But then after that, it's like it's gone. It's like because like with all the stuff that's posted on Facebook, this post will be long buried. And no one's yeah. going to come back and see it. Whereas with, um, so you only got 10 people on that first day. Whereas with Google, you get like, let's say you get 10 people every single day for as long as the website is up on Google, which is a much better deal than just like a one-time pop. Yeah. And with most social media, it's such a pop and drop uh, thing, I think, except for Pinterest. Pinterest seems to, at least for me, send uh, consistent traffic. Yeah, I think Pinterest behaves like a search engine in, in some ways. That, that's why some people like it. Yeah. Although I, I was never able to figure out how, how to make it work. I'll, I'll do a tutorial for you. I, I'll try it again when I start the dog blog. Okay. I think that's, that's more of a suitable niche for, for Pinterest than a, 
than any of the other ones. Okay. Well, that makes sense. All right. Do we have any more wise words for the listeners today? No, I, I think the, the one thing to keep in mind is that your, your SEO can never be perfect. It's not something where you just tick off these 50 boxes and it's perfect. It's something that constantly changes depending on how your competition is doing, essentially. Mm. Right. So I think it's important to do your best and to, go, to do a good enough job, but also not to get stuck on it and, and to just keep producing content because that, that's what drives the business at the end of the day, at, at least if you follow the type of business model that, um, that you or, or I are following. Yeah, um, but SEO can apply to any other um, website and side hustle out there. If you're making music and you want your music to be seen by others, if you're making t-shirts, if you're making, I don't know, candles, soaps, yeah, exactly. It's it's a really important skill to know because, again, it, it it's a way that that um that that allows you to make something out of nothing, essentially, yeah. right? It's like you, you take nothing, you put in some words, or or you hire somebody to write an article, and if you know how to do it right, then that article becomes an asset that that keeps paying you for for a long time. Yeah. So if you want to practice your SEO, you know, we recommend that you check out the show notes, sidehustlesandstuff.com forward slash e forty one where we'll give you a quick outline of what we talked about in today's episode about SEO and where you can check out Bluehost, where you can start your own website, a WordPress website, which makes SEO easy for you, which means all you have to do is just the on-page SEO stuff. And you can start pushing out your work into the world and hoping it uh, gets picked up by Google and start receiving traffic to your website. So check out the show notes, check out Bluehost if you want to start your own side hustle, if you want to start your own website at sidehustlesandstuff.com forward slash e forty. Two, this has been the Side Hustles and Stuff podcast with Keishi and Yuri. Talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Thunderdome. It's the Side Hustles and Stuff podcast. Just kidding. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that came from. But I guess that to anyone that's listening that has this high salary, again, <laughs> so like the listener really understands what SEO and do what, S- again, vert, vert, vert. So if you want to, <laughs> again, this has been the Side Hustles and Stuff podcast with Keishi and Yuri.